0: Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 through 49. Ezekiel 20, verses 33 through 49. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn. But they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know... That I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God: Go serve every one of you his idols. And now and hereafter, if you will not listen to me, but my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them, shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require your contributions and the choicest of your gifts, with your, with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out from all the countries where you have been scattered, and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring, into the land of, bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed, and you shall know that I am the Lord." When I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward the south land. Preach against the south and prophesy against the forest land in the Negeb. Say to the forest of the Negeb, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will kindle a fire in you and it shall devour every green tree in you and every dry tree. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from south to north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Then I said, "Ah, Lord God, they are saying of me, is he not a maker of parables? Now in this passage here, we see a prophecy, listen closely, about the tribulation period. And that's what we're gonna be doing tonight, spending most of our time looking at the tribulation period. Because this is a prophecy about the tribulation period And also known, as you're going to see tonight, as described as in the Bible, as a time of Jacob's trouble. And there's also a glimpse of the millennial kingdom in some of these verses. But mostly, Jesus is talking through Ezekiel to the nation of Israel about the time when he, through the tribulation period, makes himself their God and their king. And so I want you to understand that there are some word clues here in this passage that show that this is referring to Jesus' return in judgment at the end of the tribulation period, and is not his salvation through the church age. Can anybody see? And I'm going to give you a clue. Look at verses 33 and 34. What are the clues that show you this is his return in judgment, not the promise of becoming our God in the church age? Can anybody see it? Yes, right. With wrath poured out. Look at what he says. With wrath poured out, I will be king over you. Is that how he does it with salvation through this time of grace? No, it's it's his love and his mercy and his grace that's poured out to us. And that's why we're saved by his grace. But at this point, it's not only by his grace, but it's also through wrath that he will separate, as you're going to see the sheep and the goats. He's going to separate those who are going to be allowed to enter the millennial kingdom and those who won't. And at that point, he says, I will be king over you. With a mighty arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king. And so what we're going to do tonight is I want to show you from Scripture prophecies that talk about that day. And as we do, you're going to see that it's a time period in which God says, you guys, Israel, have been looking forward to the day of the Lord. It's not going to be as much fun as you thought it was going to be. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Put a bookmark here in Ezekiel 20 and go with me to Jeremiah chapter 30. We're going to start off in verses 1 through 7. Jeremiah 30, verses 1-7, through it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror and no peace ask now and see can a man bear a child why then do i see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor why has every face turned pale alas that day is so great there is none like it it is a time of distress for jacob yet he shall be saved out of it so we see here in the prophecy there's a time coming for the nation of israel when they're going to they're going to be going through such a horrific time that The people are going to be just wailing like a woman in labor, a woman who's giving birth. And he says, it's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved out of it. Jump now to verses 8 through 11. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. So again... We see that God's going to be fulfilling His promises to Israel, but in the process, is Israel going to have it easy? No. They're going to be going through a real, real hard time. Look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Jump down to verse 18. Look at chapter, verse 18, verses 18 through 24, chapter 30. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of, of, of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. One out of them shall come the songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord." and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, it will burst open upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Again, In the midst of that time that he's prophesying all the blessings that he's going to do when he restores Jacob and Israel and all this, and how Jesus is going to be ruling there and David's going to be ruling with him, he also keeps pointing out, oh, by the way, it's going to be a horrific time where I pour out my wrath, not only on the wicked, but also on the people of Israel. Let me show you one more example of what I'm talking about. Go to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. Look at verses 18 through 20. Here, God speaks through the prophet Amos to the nation of Israel. He says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or he went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? and gloom with no brightness in it. We don't have time to get into the full study of this, but if you wanted to do a study of the day of the Lord in the scripture, you'll notice that with the day of the Lord begins at the beginning of the tribulation period and culminates into the millennial kingdom. So you see the prophecies about the day of the Lord include the millennial kingdom, but they also include the tribulation period or the time of Jacob's trouble. So remember what God said through Ezekiel. He says to them, In the latter days, of course, we see in Jeremiah that it'll be even more clear and easier for us to understand, which hopefully it will be by then and tonight as well. But he says, I will be king over you, Israel. I will be king over you. But with a mighty arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will fulfill all my promises. Now, what I want to do, though, is take you back to Ezekiel. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 20, and I want to show you that God promises to bring them out of all the countries that He scattered them to, and to bring them back to the land of Israel. And at that time, listen closely, all of Israel will serve the Lord in the land. We're going to use the scriptures to get a clearer understanding of all Israel will serve the Lord, because there's a lot of confusion about this, and there's some bad teaching about it as well. So I want to use the scripture tonight to help you understand this. Ezekiel chapter 20, look at verse 34. He says, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you're scattered. All right. Now look at verse 40. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there shall all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. So it looks like all Israel's going to believe. And the Bible says they will. But we need to clarify what all means and let the scripture determine what all means. So stick with that. Go to verse 41. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you, God says, when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out from the countries where you've been scattered. Look at verse 42. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers. So we've seen so far in these verses that he's promised at that time that he brings them all back from the countries that he scattered them and brings them back into the land. That at that time, all Israel will worship the Lord. All Israel in the land will worship the Lord. And it'll be there in Israel. Now, we'll deal with this in a little bit more, in in a little bit. Let me ask you a quick question. Have these prophecies been fulfilled with the regathering of Israel in 1948? Not at all. It can't be. And a lot of people have been trying to take the regathering prophecies to make them fulfilled in 1948. I'll show you in a little bit that they're not. Because what's one of the evidences that these prophecies haven't been fulfilled yet. They don't all worship the Lord right now. And doesn't remember how we read earlier in Jeremiah at that time when he does that, they're going to live at ease and no one to make them afraid. Is that what's going on right now in Israel? Not even close. There's a whole lot more that's going to go happen in the land there to the nation of Israel. Remember how God's already told us it's through wrath that he's going to deal with the nations, but also deal with the people of Israel. And actually, we got a clue here. We skipped over it in the verses between where we've already looked. We looked at 34, 40, 41. Let me take you back to chapter 20, verses 35 through 38. Look closely again at verse 35. And God says, I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face, as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God, I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So, does every Jew that is gathered in the last days out of the lands in which they've been scattered, do they all make it into Israel? Not according to the scriptures. So the all Israel, if you go back to look at verse 40 again, For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. Now we understand who the all refers to. All who are what? All who are back in the land. You see, at the end of the the tribulation period, when he regathers them from all the nations which have been scattered, only those who have been given righteousness will be allowed to enter the millennial kingdom and live in the land of Israel. There will be Jews who will pass under the rod of God's judgment who will be cast out. Only the righteous Jews will be allowed to make it. And remember, Jesus, and this is going to happen, by the way, during the tribulation period and the judgment against the nation of Israel. Remember how, and we're going to get to there in just a second. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, And he who stands firm to the end will be saved. You and I aren't saved by standing firm to the end. We're saved by the grace of the God. And the fact that we stand to the end is because he's holding on to us, not because we're holding on to him. But in those days, the Jews that stand firm to the end, those are the ones who will be given righteousness. Those are the ones who don't take the mark of the beast. Those are the ones who turn to the Lord and seek for his, his grace and his, and through repentance. And they will be given righteousness. So when the scripture says, if you remember back in Romans chapter 11, and therefore all Israel will be saved, let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Romans 11 real quick to verse 25. But Jim, are we saying that all of Israel has not bowed down to the Lord Jesus Christ at that point? Even if- By the end of the tribulation period, those who have made the millennial kingdom, all those Jews will. All those Jews will. We'll get to Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 25. Paul says, "Lest you be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And and as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. All right. So here it says that at the end of the tribulation period, I believe the Bible teaches that the Jews that survive all of that are the ones who are going to be entered into the kingdom be given righteousness. But he says here that not everyone that he gathers from all the nations will make it into the land of Israel. He'll pass them under the rod. Does anybody understand what that picture of passing under the rod means? It's a picture of a shepherd's job. The shepherd at night, when the the fold would come back, a lot of times they would share pens with other herds. And how the shepherd, and then they'd separate the them into there, but they would pass the rod. He would use the rod to check them, make sure there was not any damages or whatever, and anything they had to put oil on or whatever. But at the same time, if it wasn't one of his, or was a goat, the rod would whack them and say, nope, not you, you're not going in. And if they were able to pass under and go through, then they were okay. And he says in the same way that he's going to separate them and he's going to, the righteous of the Jews will enter the kingdom, the unrighteous won't. All right, now, as you've heard me teach before, there will be Gentiles in the millennial kingdom as well. And that's what Matthew 25 is talking all about. The parable of the, of the sheep and the goats is talking about how he's going to gather all the nations as well at the end of the tribulation period. Once Jesus has come back, he's going to bring them and he's going to judge them according to how they treated Israel. Joel chapter 3 is very, very clear about that. Now, when Jesus in Matthew 25 says how you treated these brothers of mine, he's talking about who? Israel. The whole sheep and the goats that we've been preached about for years by preachers, and unfortunately when I was younger I used to do the same thing, that we had preachers tell us it was how we get into heaven by giving someone a glass of water or visiting someone in prison, but that's not how we get into heaven. We don't get into heaven by our works, do we? No, no, but those who during the tribulation period will be pro-Israel and hiding them when the Antichrist goes after them and that type of a thing, those who have been looking to take care of the Israelites during that time God says, because you treated these brothers of mine in this way, you get to enter the kingdom. And they will be judged as well. The sheep and the goats will be separated. So at the end of the tribulation period, the righteous Jews will be allowed to enter the kingdom. The righteous Gentiles will be allowed to enter the kingdom. And as you've heard me teach on before, if not, you need to go back and listen to the Revelation study. There's going to be a Gentile branch of government in the millennial kingdom, and there's going to be a Jewish branch of government in the millennial kingdom. The Jewish branch is going to rule with Jesus himself in Jerusalem. David as his prince. And they're going to have the 12 apostles, I'm mean, sorry, yeah, 12 apostles are going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel, but at the same time, we Gentiles are going to come back and rule and reign with them all over the globe during that time. It's going to be an amazing time. But I'm going to say to you what I've already touched on, but we're going to look at it in a little more detail. Obviously, even though the Jews are miraculously back in their own land since 1948, they have not all been brought back from the countries yet. Are there Jewish people still in America? So they haven't all been brought back yet. There are Jews all over. Exactly. Exactly. It's just a portion of the Jews. But the reason why 1948 is important is because in order for the prophecies about what was going to happen to Israel just prior to the time of Jacob's trouble to occur, there has to be Israel in the land, as we're going to show you that. All right. So they have not all been brought back from the countries yet, and they do not all worship the Lord right now either. But they needed to be brought back in the land for the prophecies prior to and those involved in the tribulation to be fulfilled. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. In Zechariah chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1. It says, The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. And on that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic, And it's rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem." And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now, here we see that that the Jews have to be back in Jerusalem and back in the land in order for all the nations in the last days to come against them. That's why 1948 was a big deal. That's why I personally believe that when Jesus talked about the fig tree and he said, when you see the fig tree bud, you'll know that summer's near even at the door. I believe he was hinting at the fact that whenever we saw the nation of Israel rebud again, because all through scripture, they've been described as a fig tree. He said, when you see that bud, you know that all thi- that if if things near right at the door. And then he's made this statement. This generation shall not pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. Now, there are those who thought he was talking about the generation that heard him while he was speaking, but of course that generation passed away long ago. And some people think this generation means mankind won't pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. Possibly. But I believe that what Jesus was saying was is the generation that sees the fig tree rebud will not pass away until all these things have been fulfilled. Does anybody know how old the nation of Israel, after rebutting in the land in 1948, is going to be next year? It's coming up to 70. It's coming, up to 70. <laughs> coming up to 70 years. And then the scripture kind of hint at 70 being a big number. And that 70, you're promised, but 80 maybe if you have the strength. Don't try to predict. Don't try to figure it all out and make, make the math work out. But let me just tell you, we're in an interesting time period right now. Because the nation of Israel, I believe, rebutted in 1948. And it's about to have its 70th birthday. It's coming, coming soon. And so at the same time, the, re, the, the regathering partially of Israel back in the land in 1948 is wonderful because now that set the stage for all the prophecies. I'm going to read you some more to be fulfilled, which had to be fulfilled before the final days could come because Israel had to be back in the land for all these prophecies to happen. It is not the regathering that the prophecies have all talked about, though, because the prophecies talk about, talking about the regathering of Israel in the last days say that they will be gathered from all the countries, which they haven't, and that at that time they will all worship the Lord from there on, which hasn't happened yet. Let me read to you another one. Go to Zechariah 14. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and this city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. Now, some of you might say, hang on for a second. I'm with you, Jim, that the prophecy here is showing that the Israelites had to be back in the land when the nations come against Jerusalem. But what we just read in Zechariah looked like when the nations come against Jerusalem, that the Jews were going to fight them back and they were going to win. I mean, didn't we read that on that day he's going to make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they'll devour to the right and to the left? And everybody's going to be saying, hey, they're fighting with the power of the Lord. Zechariah 12 said that when the nations come against them, the Jews were going to win. Yet Zechariah 14 says when the nations come against them, the Jews were going to lose. do they have to go back in the world Very good. Very good. Actually, as you're going to see, as much as there's going to be a time at the end when Jerusalem and the Jews are blessed because of God's favor, they're going to have to go through a time of, well, go to chapter 12. Let me read it to you. Chapter 12, look at verses 8 and 9. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive and I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. And I will say they are they are, they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. I'm sorry. Did I say chapter 12? Yeah. Verses. Yes. It's 13. Chapter 13. I, I meant chapter 13. Thank you. Let me read it to you again so you can read it with me. Chapter 13, verses eight and nine. It says, "In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I'll put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. So if you take the time, and again, we don't have the time to go into it tonight and really do a deep, detailed study of all the prophecies concerning these days, we see this much now. When the nations come against Israel, especially at the beginning, oh, sorry, the midpoint of the tribulation period, when the Antichrist sets himself up into the, the temple and declares himself to be God, what did Jesus say that the Jews were to do when they see that happen? Run for their lives, because it was about to get so bad. And we're going to read that in just a little bit. Worse than it's ever been on the t- ever in history of the earth, and never again will be as bad as it's going to be at that time. Two thirds of the Jews are going to be killed during that time period. One third will remain alive. Again, a deeper study of this will show you one-sixth, if you will, will make it into the wilderness. Another one-sixth is going to stay in Jerusalem during that time period, but they're going to have it really, really rough. But God is doing what to the nation of Israel, according to this prophecy here through that time? He's refining them. He's refining them. He's taking them through it. But he says, I will be king over you, Israel. I'm going to be king over you. But it's going to take a mighty arm and wrath poured out but I'm going to be king over you. By the way, folks, I'm not a five-point Calvinist, but I believe strongly the Bible teaches that even in this church age, you weren't saved because of you. You were saved because of the grace of God. You, and this is his work. Any of us that thinks, well, well, I believe in Jesus, therefore, no, no, no. If you believe, it's because God gave you the grace. Even his, your faith is a gift. The Bible teaches both, though, that everybody hears and that you can resist the grace of God. That's where I differ from those. But I believe strongly that if anybody in here, and I believe most of us as I look around the room know the Lord, anybody that's listening, if you are saved, God did it. You didn't. But it's by his work, by his work that we're saved. All right. Now, at the same time, he's going to be doing that with the nation of Israel. So here's what I want to do. Knowing all this, then will make Matthew 24 a lot easier to understand. So let's go to Matthew 24 and let's reread Matthew 24 with keeping what we have just read tonight looked at in mind. You see, Jesus was asked a question about his return and the end of the age. And I believe without question that Jesus begins to speak about the tribulation period immediately when he starts to answer the question, all right, Go to Matthew 24. Look at verses 1. I'm going to read through 27. Now, Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another. They will not be thrown down. Now, at that time, he's referring to what happened in A.D. 70. And that was exactly what happened. Part of the reason why is when they set fire to the temple, the gold that was on all the walls started to melt into the cracks of the stones and the Romans, wanting to get all the gold, took every stone apart to get the gold out of the, out of the cracks. And there wasn't a stone left upon another. But then, the, now look at verse 3. And as he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus, I believe, comes and he begins to speak to them now about getting ready for the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of his coming, the day of the Lord, if you will. And the end of the age, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And they will deliver you up to tribulation So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world Until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, I believe without question, folks, that what Jesus was referring to here when they asked him about a sign of his coming and the end of the age, he begins to talk to them immediately about the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. If you were to compare Matthew 24, starting in verse 3 and following, with Revelation, starting in chapter 6, and the seals being opened, what is the first seal? The white horse. And who comes out on the white horse? the Antichrist. And what does he say? Watch out for false Christs. And then the next horse comes out, which is the red horse, which is war. And he removed peace from the earth. And what does he say? There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. Oh, and then on top of that, we see that there's going to be famines. That's the next one. Death, the next one. Jesus is describing the first seals that are being opened at the beginning of the tribulation period. Now, there's a couple of things in here as well that I want to pull out and questions that need to be answered. Uh, you've already heard me talk about this before, but I just want to point them out to you. It's very clear that he is says when he says in verse twenty, "Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath." He couldn't be talking to the church. This can't be referring to the church age, because one, are we? We're not. On, are we under Sabbath laws? How do you know this? You're supposed to say that was last week's study. You remember last week? I was just tested to see that was last week's study. And on top of that. He also says, pray that your flight doesn't take place in the winter. Well, if he's talking to the church, it's going to be winter somewhere. Well, a lot of years ago, actually it was 2004, uh, Mike Terry and I went on a basketball mission trip with a, a basketball mission team out of, from all around the country. We met in California. We flew to um, Australia. Me being ignorant, I've never been to that side of the world before. It was a 14-hour flight, and I hope it never happens again. But when we got there, I couldn't believe that in July there was snow on the ground. It's winter in Australia in July. It totally messed us all up. We're like, wait a minute, we're used to doing these basketball mission trips in Guatemala and El Salvador and sweating. We had to wear warm-ups. We actually played outdoors at a school in snow one day. But you know what? If Jesus is saying, pray that your flight doesn't take place in the winter, if he's talking to the church, he's telling the church to pray against each other, right? Because the church is all over the globe. So he can't be talking to the church. He's talking to the Jews, folks, and he's talking about what happened at the midpoint of the tribulation. There's going to be all these things that come out, Antichrist, and during in that first part of the tribulation period. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be famines all over the globe. There's going to be death that happens. That, but look closely at what he says in verse 8. He says, all these are the, but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I want to take some time tonight to break that down because... In verse 8, Jesus described this tribulation period as the birth pains. What does he mean by the birth pains? Now, he could have simply been using the term to show that as painful as it would be, it'll get worse before completion. As you know, you ladies who've had birth pains, they get worse and worse and worse until the time of completion. He could have just simply saying, using the term birth pains to describe as bad as it's going to be at the beginning, it's going to get worse at the end. And that's all he was referring to. But there's another option, and I think scripturally I can show you this option is true. He could have been referring to a specific, previously mentioned birth pains or time of labor. I believe that when Jesus said, this is just the beginning of the birth pains, when He said the birth pains, some translations just simply say birth pains, but I think in in the Greek it clearly shows it's the beginning of the birth pains. And I think when Jesus said it's the beginning of the birth pains, He's referring to something they should have already remembered because He's talking about something that happened prior. So go back with me to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, look at verses 2 through 5, the beginning of verse 5. Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 2. It says, But you, Micah 5, 2, But you, O Bethlehem of Fratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he, this one who's going to be born in Bethlehem and going to be the ruler in Israel, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So we hear, the, see here, the prophecy shows that there is going to be this one born in Bethlehem who's going to be ruler in Israel. We all know who that is. We've all seen the Christmas pageants, and we know this passage is preached on many times. But how many of us have ever had the next verses preached to us? It says in verse three that he, this one who's going to be born in Israel, I mean Bethlehem, which is Jesus, he's going to give up the Jews until when? The time when she who is in labor has been given birth, has given birth. I think he's referring to a specific time of labor. Oh, but don't just take one verse. Back up with me to chapter 4 and look at chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. I think chapter 5 makes more sense if you'd already read chapter 4. and chapter 4, verses 9 through 13, and it says, uh, by the way, if you ever heard me preach on Migdal Eder, that's in verse 8. You tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. That's on my website if you want to just find under messages where was Jesus born. I can show you that Jesus wasn't born in a stable behind an inn, but he was actually born at the base of a watchtower. And the shepherds that came were the Passover shepherds in charge of the Passover lambs. Jesus was born in the exact same place the Passover lambs were born in Bethlehem. It's a great study. You have to go look at that. But look at verse 9. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country, and you shall go to Babylon, there you shall be rescued, and the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, For I will make your horn iron and I will make your hoofs bronze and you shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their their gain to the Lord and their wealth to the Lord of the earth. Look again at verse nine. Why are you crying aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Does that... Sound at all like anything we've read tonight already? Does anybody remember something we've read earlier? The beginning of birth pains. Well, definitely tied to the beginning of birth pains. The men holding their stomachs. You got it, Jeff. Go back to Jeremiah 30, guys. Go back to Jeremiah 30 again. Look at verses 1 through 7. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I've spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I'll bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why is every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, and yet he shall be saved out of it. When you put Jeremiah 30 and Micah chapter four and Micah chapter five together, you'll see that God had already been prophesying through the prophets that Israel was gonna go through a time that was gonna be so severe, it was gonna be like a time of a woman in labor. And they were gonna be saved out of it, but they were gonna go through a real horrific time. And when Jesus is asked, what'll be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? He begins to tell them the beginning of the tribulation period. And then he says this. That's just the beginning of the birth pains. Ones that were already referred to. Do you see it? And that's what he then says at the midpoint, if you know from our study of prophecy, the midpoint, the Antichrist, the one who comes on the scene and fools him, is going to step into the temple and declare himself to be God. And he says, when you see that, run, run, run. By the way. What's going to happen when the Antichrist steps into the temple and declares himself to be God? What's going to happen to the Jews? Two-thirds are going to be killed. One-third is going to survive. Folks, it's going to be a horrific time. But God said to, remember, at the beginning of our study tonight, I will be king over you. I will be king over you. Now, there's something else here in chapter 24 of Matthew that I really want to take a second to clarify been misquoted and misunderstood for years. Matthew 24, look at verse 14. It says in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now for years we've heard preachers say that as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. And we've got to hurry up and get the gospel to the whole world, because once we get the gospel to the whole world, then Jesus can come back. Anybody heard any preaching like that? Well, let me ask you a quick question first, and then I'll show you from Scripture. That can't be a correct interpretation. If we believe that the gospel hasn't made it to the whole world yet, then there are people in the world that never had a chance to hear. Correct? Yes. Is that who God is, according to Scripture? Not at all. Romans says it very clearly. So what we're going to do is I'm going to show you that actually that can't be the interpretation of this, that as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come, because the scripture already says in two places that the gospel has already made it to the whole world. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, look at verse 18. He says, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for, and then he quotes from the Old Testament, their voice has gone out to where? All the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So the gospel, according to Romans chapter 10, says, for years we've had people preach Romans. How can they hear when someone preaches them? And you need to get out because they won't. In that context, Paul's been showing them, everything I'm showing you here, God has already said How would he expect you to believe in something unless you had heard it? And how can anybody hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can anybody preach unless they're sent? In other words, Paul's been saying all along, look, everything that we're sharing with you, God's already sent people. He's already had it preached to you. You've already heard it. You just haven't responded in faith. Have they not heard? Of course they have. His word has gone out into all the earth. Go with me to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 23. We'll start in verse 21 so you don't catch up in the middle of the sentence and get thrown off by that. Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, God, is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Can it be any more clear than that, folks? The scripture says it has been preached in all creation in many, many ways, through creation itself, through God writing his law in people's hearts, through people that he sent all around the globe, that doesn't mean that we're not to still send missionaries out because there are new people being born every day and there need to be people continually as the Lord leads them going out into all the places that he desires for them to go. But to say that the gospel hasn't made it to the whole world is to say that there are people that haven't heard and those people never had a chance to be saved and that's not who God is according to the scriptures. So there has to be a correct, a different interpretation of Matthew 24 verse 14 and I think if you will let The fact that Jesus is referring to the tribulation period, be your understanding, all of a sudden Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 makes a ton of sense. Go with me to Revelation chapter 14. You see, if you have been remember our study in the book of Revelation, most of the book of Revelation deals with the tribulation period. And in chapter 14, right near the very end of the tribulation period, look at verses 6 and 7. Then it says, then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Do You see it at the end of the tribulation period. There's going to be an angel that hovers in midair and proclaims the gospel to the whole world all at one time. And guess what happens after that? Then the end comes and Jesus returns. Folks, I believe without question, when Matthew 24, Jesus said the gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. He's pointing to the angel that's going to do it. We still have the responsibility to be faithful to be used of Him in the day and age in which we live and to go out wherever He leads us to go and to be praying for people to be sent out. Remember Matthew 9, 37 says, Ask the Lord, pray the Lord of the harvest to be sent because then laborers into His harvest field. We're to be asking God to continue to put people in our neighbor's path and us, if ever He would use us. But don't think for a second that as soon as we get it done, then the end will come. It's been done, being done, will be done. God doesn't need us to get His stuff done. He's a big awesome powerful sovereign God. Just don't miss out on the fun of being used by him. But Matthew 24 makes a ton of sense when you understand that Jesus is talking about the time of Jacob's trouble. Do you see it? All right, better say yes cuz otherwise we got to start over. All right. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 20, look at verse 39. I'm going to ask you a question and then we're going to read verse 39. If God's purpose during this time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation period, is the restoration of the Jews for his glory, why does he say what he says in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 39? Look at verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go, serve every one of you his idols now and hereafter, if you'll not listen to me. But my holy name, you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. If his desire and his purpose is restoration, why does he say to them, hey, Go serve your idols. I think because, as I'm going to show you, all through Scripture, I have seen a pattern of the Lord right before he brings the final judgment. He gives offers of mercy and grace over and over and over. But right before he brings the final judgment, he pretty much says, do what, you, do what you're going to do. Watch, watch and see this pattern all through Scripture. Go to Revelation 22. In Revelation 22, if you don't know, it's... A wonderful picture of the new heaven and the new earth, but it also is an offer for salvation. But he makes an interesting statement in verses 10 through 13. Revelation 22 verse 10, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Isn't that interesting? Then he would say, hey, by the way, the the wicked, go ahead, keep being wicked. The holy, you keep being holy. Uh, Go to Ezekiel chapter 3. We've already seen it in our study of Ezekiel in chapter 3, a very similar thing. Look at verses 26 and 27 in Ezekiel 3. God says, I will make, talking to Ezekiel, make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them for their rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse refuse, for their rebellious house. All right? So again, he says, some of you are going to get it. Some of you aren't. By the way, do you remember the very end of chapter 20 here in Ezekiel? What were they saying about Ezekiel as he was prophesying the words of God to him? The very end of chapter 20. Look at verse 49. What are they saying about Ezekiel? He's speaking in parables. Yeah, he goes, this guy's speaking in parables. We've already done that study. Why did God speak in parables? Because those who are humble enough to say, I want to learn, I want to know, he'll give you eyes to see and ears to hear. And for those who don't want to humble themselves, they're never going to figure it out on their own. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Well, it's also like earlier when we were doing 18 or whatever. Right. In other words, everything that you need to know to respond, I've given to you. Correct. until you recognize that you come to the end of yourself and that you can't do it, then God can do anything with you. You got it. You got it. Daniel chapter 12, look at verses 9 and 10. And he said, Go away your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. By the way, did you catch how Daniel was told prophecy about the tribulation period in the last days? And he was told, not for you to know, and they're shut up until when? The time of the end. Oh, and what did we just read in chapter 22, verse 10? Don't seal up the words of the prophecy. That means the time of the end's already begun, folks. We're in the last days. They're coming to a close soon. One of the reasons we know the last days are coming to a close was May 1948 when Israel became a nation again. And that meant that things were starting to be put in place for the last days. God is doing something with the nation of Israel, He's doing something with His church. But the church, the time of the Gentiles, is going to come to a close. Israel's experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And then all Israel will be saved. Oh, but it's going to be with a mighty arm and with wrath poured out. But he will be king over them. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I'm going to close tonight with one more passage of Scripture, but I just want to make sure that you're still with me here and you understand that when it's time for judgment and the opportunities for you to respond have been given over and over and over, there comes a point where God says, Those who are going to get it are going to get it, and those who aren't going to get it aren't going to get it. You've had your opportunity. The door is shut. The wicked, go ahead. Be wicked. Those who don't want to obey me, go ahead. Serve your idols. Those of you who want to run with Satan, go ahead. Run with Satan. There comes a point where God says, I've given you opportunity. Now you go your way. But don't miss. Along with those, the wicked will become more and more wicked, and the ungodly will be more and more ungodly. Wasn't there also the holy will be Holy. There should be an increasing holiness in our lives as well. For those of us who are in Christ, as we get closer and closer to this time when he brings us to Him, there should be an increase of our righteousness as we learn more and more to yield to the Spirit and say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, just as much as the wicked are going to get worse and worse, those of us who are His should be increasing in the evidence of our salvation. Go with me. here's our last passage for tonight. Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter 3. Look at verses 8 through 13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. But he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All right. But the day of the Lord, we've been studying that tonight, will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you see it? How should we be living? Not for this life. As I shared with you at the beginning of our study tonight, I got some possibly bad news this morning when they said they found the mass. But you know what? It hasn't changed any of my plans. It hasn't changed anything. I've been living my life my whole life for the most part, to live for the Lord. And on top of that, as a husband and a father, I've been working in my family so that they would come to know the Lord themselves and they have, that they'd grow up into young men and women to walk with God and my wife walked with God, that if he chooses to take me early, I'm okay with that because I trust him. If I was living for this life, that would be a different story. But I can tell you the neatest thing that has happened through all of this was this morning when I got a chance to talk to each of my kids and tell them what they found, each of them said, God's got it. And they responded in faith. And we've even been joking about it. Why? Because we trust him and he's gonna cause all things to work for good, no matter which way it goes, we're good. And I can't wait to shine that same faith throughout this whole process as I run into whoever I run into in the hospitals and the nurses and the doctors and all that. But folks, my question is for you. If you were to get some bad news today, and life like you thought might not go like you had planned, are you living for this life? Are you living for the next? Because I honestly, I'm ready to go. Not in a hurry. I'm not suicidal. But like Peter said, I'm ready to be unclothed. And I mean, Paul said it be unclothed. Peter said, I'm about to take off this tent of the body. Some of you have pup tents. I have a double wide. <laughs> As the day of judgment gets closer and closer, let me ask you. Are you becoming more and more wicked? Are you becoming more and more righteous? Now, you've already been declared righteous, but is it being manifested that you're becoming more and more like Jesus? That'll be the evidence that you're on the right side. I love you guys. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for coming.